I thought y'all liked that. Okay. You're all set. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Can I tilt this or not? I just want to sort of, I just want to tilt it toward it. So it's more horizontal. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Let's pray, please. Jesus, we just pray that your word would go forth and that you would touch our hearts, that they would be knit to your heart and that we would have a a closer and a more joyous relationship with you. So, Lord, we invite you to have your way with us. We know that apart from you that uh, we're just like uh, tinkling cymbals and sounding gongs, Lord. Well, your word is true. And we just pray that uh, the truth of God would just permeate our very being. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The definition of a worldview, and everybody's got one, whether that's what they call it or not, is a personal philosophy or a personal perception of the world and the people in it. If you look at a definition of philosophy, it's very similar. It includes things like ethics and morality and uh, metaphysics and logic and all of these sort of things, and they're the underlying principles of what you believe. Uh, You can study philosophy of all kinds of great and semi-great thinkers and see what their philosophy is and when you get to the end of it a lot of times you just go what but anyway the study of philosophy is the study of these things and they lead you to a worldview I think Uh, I remember enjoying philosophy classes in college And then I was struck by what Lee Strobel said. Lee Strobel, when he found out that his son said he was going to major in philosophy, he asked him this question. Do you know the difference between a philosopher and a large pizza? And his son said, what, is that a trick question? He said, no, it's not a trick question. Do you know the difference between a philosopher and a large pizza? And his son said, no, tell me. And Strobel said, the difference between a philosopher and a large pizza 
is that a large pizza can feed a family of four. So philosophy might be a good thing to study, but it sure won't help you feed your family. Um, another one of these pithy statements from Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan said, serve the atheist a fine dinner and ask him if he believes in a cook. So these are a lot of little things that get me started before I try to figure out what I'm going to say. (laughs) I do want to talk about worldview. It's a little confusing sometimes when you try to, if you're going to sit down with someone with a Bible study to, to, to go through scripture, it's hard to know where to start. And I've thought about starting in different places at different times. You know, when, when you're studying a new language, you don't start at the beginning of the dictionary. You start with common objects and phrases that you use frequently. You start with the basics, and then you build on the basics. Sometimes when people want to learn about God, they start at the beginning. They go to Genesis, and they work their way through it. And very often, they do fine in Genesis, and they do well in Exodus. Numbers is a little harder. (laughs) And when they get to Leviticus, they stop. So it's, it's hard to tell somebody this is the way to study the Bible. We need to keep, we need to understand the main things and keep the main things from the secondary things when we're studying Scripture. Because if we understand the main things, the secondary things will fall into place. Mm-hmm. A better approach than starting in Genesis, I think, is to start with the basic foundational concepts and then build on those. Get the basics of the stories in your mind and then go from there. So here's the basic outline of the Christian story. It tells the most important things that happen in the order that they take place. And it consists of really five words. Words, God, man, Jesus, cross, and resurrection. And if you can stick with those, you'll do well. You depart from it and you get lost in things that are important, but not the most important. That's the big picture. The beginning, God, to the end, resurrection. If we can get the big picture of a Christian worldview, we won't get lost in the details. Francis Schaeffer used to say that Christianity does not start with Jesus saves you from your sins. It starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what Schaefer meant when he said this was that you can't reduce Christianity to a track on getting saved. 
Instead, Christianity is a comprehensive account of reality. It's a rational and real-world account of the history of the universe. Of course, it's true that Jesus does save us, that he came for that reason, to save us from the deadly disease invasion of sin. But starting there is like going to a three-act play and coming in in the middle of the second act. You're not sure what the characters are. You can't figure out the plot. And you're constantly questioning about the events that you missed. What took place before I got here. Most of all, you can't appreciate the depth and the complexity of the problem that needs to be explained. This is why, in a large part, the message of Christianity no longer makes sense to a lot of people today. They don't know the first part of the play. They don't know the first part of the story. And as a result, they can't make sense out of key concepts like sin and salvation. The apostles in the New Testament had the same problem. When they talked to the Jewish people, they were speaking to people that understood the basic concepts of Jewish history. They understood what came before. They knew the background. They knew the history of Israel. They knew who God was. They understood concepts like sin and atonement. And they were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. But things were quite different when they started talking to the Greeks, when they started talking to the Gentiles. These people had no knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures, and so they had to start at a much more basic foundational level. In Acts, when Paul spoke to the Gentiles in an area that is now part of Turkey, he began by saying, or by laying the groundwork of God as creator. He said, the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They didn't know this. And how did God reveal himself to those people without scripture? He did it through the created order. The same thing that we have to do sometimes with people that know absolutely nothing about Christianity today. Paul said, he did not have, or he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. In Acts 14, knowledge of God can be found in the creation. The most famous example that Paul addresses in the book of Acts it's when he's in the city of Athens and he begins again to build and he builds his argument on what everyone can know about God through the created order. He begins in Acts 17 by proclaiming the God he is talking about. He is, he said, the God who made the world and everything in it, who is the Lord of heaven and earth. Paul makes it clear that he's talking about not just another idol like the ones all around him, like the ones Carol was talking about. 
This God is a transcendent, transcendent creator. He's self-existent, self-sufficient, autonomous, independent, who, Paul says, does not live in temples made by human hands, and he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Then Paul proceeds to build a Christian worldview one logical step at a time. He gives examples of life and breath and everything else is what he says about God. He created the human race. Where or how? From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he wants to enjoy a relationship with him and and, uh, the people he created. Paul says God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. When he was speaking to these Greeks in Athens, Paul didn't quote Hebrew scriptures, but well-known Greek poets. He said, for in him we live and move and have our being, which is what one of their poets had said. He says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And logically, if humans are God's offspring, his children, then God must be a personal being as we are. And after making sure his Greek audience understands who God is, only then does Paul give them the moral implications of what comes from this. If a personal God created us as personal beings, then we stand in a personal relationship with him. And we have a moral obligation to him. Owing him respect and faithfulness just like we do our human parents who brought us into this world. And if we fail to honor God, we are guilty of breaking a binding cosmic law. And the only solution is repentance. Paul says, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So this is what he tells the Greeks that don't believe, that don't know who he's he's representing. And God has sent Jesus as both Savior and Judge, proving his identity by raising him from the dead. He says he has set a day when he will judge the world with the just with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. And we ought to see that only after laying this groundwork of who God is, who we are, and our relation to, to him, our relationship to him, that Paul explains sin and guilt. Then Jesus then the resurrection. He doesn't start with Jesus in the resurrection. He gives all this background. He lays a foundation. And we often get things backwards. We try to persuade people of their sin when they don't have any idea what the term means. God puts first things first, and we should put first things first also. The Christian worldview is logically coherent. Principle is laid upon principle, and they're carefully crafted together. The Bible is not a fairy tale. 
It's an account of how things really are. You know, children incessantly ask their parents why about all sorts of things. They want to know the reasons why things are the way they are. And there are reasons. If there weren't any reasons, it wouldn't make any sense to ask why. As we get older, the question of why we still ask, but it goes deeper than it does when we were children. What's the reason for everything? Why am I here? Why is anything here? Why is anything good or important or beautiful? Why? Um, I can't resist at this point going to Calvin and Hobbes. If you're not familiar with the cartoon, which um, you may very well not be, Calvin's a six-year-old. Hobbes is his stuffed tiger. Only he's stuffed to the adults, but to Hobbes, I mean to Calvin, he's real. And he's alive and he talks to him. Mm-hmm. They're in bed one night. And Calvin says, I wonder why man was put on earth. What's our purpose? Why are we here? And Hobbes looks at Hobbes looks at him and says two words. Tiger food. <laughs> <laughs> The cartoon, you know, it might be amusing, but we get the true answer from Scripture of why we're here. It tells us how things began, how things end, and everything that's deeply important in between. In short, Christianity is a picture of the way things really are. Put another way, Christianity is a worldview. And, of course, there are other worldviews, too. They compete with it, and there are many. Every religion and every secular philosophy claims to be true and accurate. Everyone has a worldview, whether they call it that or not. And every worldview, although they may call it something different, has four parts that help us to understand the parts of their worldview. And these four parts are called creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's what the Bible teaches. And it starts and it goes methodically through this. Creation tells us how things began, where everything, including ourselves, came from, and what ultimate reality is like. The fall describes the problem. And we all know something's gone wrong with this world. Well, I say all of us know that except for some things like New Age where everything's the way it should be and most things are an illusion anyway. But everybody else knows that something's gone wrong with this world. It's obvious. Redemption gives us a solution. The way to fix what went wrong. Mm -hmm. And restoration describes what the world's going to look like once the repair takes place. Worldviews help us to answer the basic question everyone asks sooner or later in our lives. If we bother to think about it at all. Things like, where did we come from? 
what's our problem, what's the solution, and how will things end for me? A worldview is like a puzzle with many different pieces. And if you're going to get the picture right, you have to work with all the right pieces of the puzzle. For example, God and Jesus and Moses and the law and grace and the cross and faith and many other pieces are important for the Christian puzzle. And obviously, if you're missing a piece, or if you've got pieces of another puzzle that you try to fit into it, you're not going to have an accurate picture of things. For example, the New Age worldview uses lots of words that are familiar with Christ- to Christians. The teachers of the New Age worldview regularly refer to the Christ, the kingdom of God within you, eternal life, the way, the truth, and the life, the I am. You'll hear many references to Jesus and lots of quotes from the Bible. But the New Age story is entirely different from the Christian story. It's a completely different view of reality that sometimes has Christian puzzle pieces mixed in and they're forced fit to fit into the Christian puzzle. And it doesn't work. It's like pounding a, a, a round picture into a square hole. You can't make it fit. But because of this, some who think they're Christian, they end up in the New Age story by accident without realizing it. Because some of the pictures, some of the pieces of the puzzle look the same. And this happens because they really don't understand the Christian story at all. Here's a quiz. In the Christian story, who's the creator and sustainer of the universe? Who's all-powerful? Who's the center of the universe? And, of course, the answer is God. And God is completely distinct from the rest of creation. He's not in the creation. He's not in the rock. He's not in the trees. He's distinct from his creation. In contrast, in the New Age story of what's real, who's the creator and sustainer of the universe? Who's the Lord, the master of the universe? Who's the all-powerful one? The New Age answer is, you are. That's why you're also the center of the universe. The Christian story and the New Age story are dramatically different. They're opposite in critical ways. The New Age story uses pieces of the Christian story, but it's deceptive. In the Christian story, God made us and we belong to him. If we go to a workshop and we make something, it belongs to us. Well, God made us. He made everyone and everything. We belong to him. The problem is this makes some people uncomfortable. It also makes the New Age story 
attractive since God is the same as the world, meaning you are part of God, and in some versions of it, you are the God who is continuing to make your own world. Well, that sounds really inviting to some people because it doesn't require you to do anything. No, no downside on the surface. You're your own God. You don't have to repent of anything. But a story being attractive and a story being true are not the same thing. They're drastically different. Both New Age and Hinduism begin with the mind, Mm -hmm. a divine mind. The story begins in the beginning, mind. And that's where the story ends, because that's all there is. It's the universal mind that permeates everything. Some versions say all is God. Others say God is in all. There are many, many aspects of this mindism, Mm -hmm. but they all end ultimately in despair and emptiness. Mm -hmm. Then there's materialism. That's another worldview. Matter is all that exists. And their story starts with, in the beginning were the particles. The cosmos is all there is or all there ever will be. That's where the story starts and that's where it ends because there's nothing more. No God, no souls, no heaven, no hell, no miracles, just molecules in motion. This is what one of the leading gurus of this view said. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, Some people are going to get hurt and others are going to get lucky. And you won't find a way or you won't find any rhyme or reason to it nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect of it if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Richard Dawkins. Fills your heart with joy and peace, doesn't it? You just can't wait to embrace it. No logic, no beginning, no end with a purpose. No purpose at all. Purpose doesn't exist. It's mindless nothingness. Here's one of the difficulties. We know something has gone terribly wrong with the world. We call it the problem with evil. But that can only be true if there's a right way for things to be. If there's no wrong way, then the question makes no sense. In materialism, there is no purpose, no plan, no mind. And to take this view leads you to the logical conclusion that life is empty, meaningless, purposely, cold, and void. Philosophers call this nihilism, nothingness. Mm -hmm. You want to read the fate of so many of these philosophers? Well, they kill themselves. Look at people like Camus and Sartre. It's just emptiness. It's nothingness. When you start believing this about yourself and others, bad things begin to happen.
There are three main answers to the question, why are we here? First, there's someone behind it all. A personal God who created and rightfully governs a world of material and immaterial things, including us. Second, there's some thing behind all of which material, behind it all, in which material and immaterial things, including all other minds, are illusions. And third, there's no one behind it and nothing behind it at all. Just the material universe of physical things with no minds or anything completing the equation. Only the first answer, God, answers the question about the world not being right and what you do about it. And the other two, the question doesn't even make sense. With an impersonal mind, everything is the way it should be. Distinctions between good and evil are illusions. And with a world fixed only with natural, excuse me, with material, the care has no, there's no purpose to anything. So the first part of the worldview, creation, beginnings, fall, redemption, and restoration is God. The stories about him the creator of everything else from nothing else. He's the rightful ruler over everything he's made, his kingdom. You and I belong to him. We are his precious possessions made for friendship with him. He is all glorious, all loving, and all powerful. Mm-hmm. I'd just like to end with this, this trip that we took. I really enjoyed it, a lot of good things, but it was really, really good to get back. It is so tiresome after a number of days to not have any Christian fellowship. And I wouldn't want to say that there were no Christians on board the ship, but they were Christians that it it really didn't transfer over to them talking about anything of any substance. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus might have been their savior, but he didn't encompass their whole life because just it, it just never came up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd be sitting on deck sometimes, maybe early in the morning or in the evening reading the Bible, and they'd walk by me and go, oh, nice book. And I'd go, yeah. <laughs> so, of course... We didn't get a chance to go in one of the cathedrals that probably would have helped me out because their claim to fame was that they had the bones of the wise men in there, the relics. So that, I, I was real disappointed I missed that. But the worldview that you have colors the life that you live. And if you, and if you don't really understand it, of who he is and the beginning and the middle and the end and you don't teach other people this way they're going to get lost in the things that are less than major and they're going to give up or they're going to hear other worldviews that take pieces of the Christian worldview and try to make it fit into theirs and they're going to be confused 
They're not going to know what's going on, and they're going to be led down a path of deception. So it behooves us to understand what we believe and how to talk to other people, especially those that have almost no understanding of the Christian life or who Jesus is. And you get this a whole lot with some of the internationals that we've been associated with. Mm -hmm. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Lord, help us to know you more. Help us to have compassionate, merciful hearts. And Lord, we've we've been in just like the the people that uh, we have compassion for and concern about right now. Lord, we weren't born Christians. We've all walked down paths of darkness. And it's only your great light that has brought us out, the Spirit of God. So, Lord, help us to do the things that um, you've called us to do. Be your witness. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all look on page one. Greg, as you were speaking, I 